Howdy Disco Citizens and welcome to the Metaphorical Boat Podcast. I'm your captain, Christopher McBride. The Metaphorical Boat is a podcast where we sit down with our favourite musicians to ask them about their music, their inspirations and most importantly, how they take their tea. Today I'm joined by two of our favourite local musicians, Jerry Norman, the singer-songwriter who's best known as the frontman of A Plastic Rose, but is now recording as a solo artist, and Michael McCullough, who having been a member of Colenso Parade and Meb John Saul, is currently recording as Son of the Hound. Michael, Jerry, thanks a lot for coming on to the Metaphorical Book Podcast, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. Chris, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. First of all, all our guests on the Metaphorical Boat Podcast are treated to a cup of tea and a tray bake or bun of their choice. It's a bit different this week in terms of what our guests have gone for. So, Jerry, Michael, what have you gone for this week? I've gone for an, well, it's controversial because nobody knows how to say the word. It's an almond slice. Or, or it could be an almond slice. I've never heard of this discussion, like this almond. debate. Yeah. Almond. Almond. And, and Mike, what have you gone for? I don't have a sweet tooth, so I went for something a bit more natural, and I went for a few orange segments. I don't know if it's a satsuma or a clementine. Do you want I, to... I think it's an easy peel orange. Right. I, I don't know what type, but it, it, it <laughs> it's, is. It's it lovely, is nice whatever, it's doing the trick. Get all your vitamin C in. And uh, I've gone for my usual, which is a nice cup of coffee, and of course, Battenbergs, because you cannot go wrong with a nice Battenberg. Battenberg. That looks good. Whoa, that oh, looks yeah. like Christmas. I'm starting to rethink my oh, uh, yeah. decision. Jump, jump them, go ahead. I'll try one, yeah. They, they are the nicest cakes ever. So. You fool, you went for I mean, an I orange. I can feel the sugar on it, which is never a good thing, but... Yeah. <laughs> you just mm, that is good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can I just I... say to the listeners here that Mickey ordered orange slices, so fruit, and he literally <laughs> ate one of my slices, and he's on his Battenberg now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first question. Jerry Norman, Michael McCullough, aka Son of the Hound. Who are you? My name is Jerry Norman. These days, I'm like a singer-songwriter, which is odd because for the last ten years it's been frontman of the Plastic Rose. But I'm a I'm a musician who loves to write and record music and get it out into the world, and hopefully people will like. You're us. being awful humble. Are you not going to mention that other thing that takes up a lot of your time? Pub gigs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Son of the Hound, I gig as a solo piece and as a band, it's pretty much the same, they're the same songs, but just whatever, whatever the venue dictates, I'll do it. I'm easy, yeah. I'll literally play anywhere. <laughs> Which is actually, this is true, because there's a place in Sligo called TD's, <laughs> and he did a gig in Sligo last year and he was like, oh, I'm playing Sligo, where are you playing? TD's. I was like, what? You never know who's going to be there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's a good attitude. <laughs> And uh, how did you first get into music? What was the first thing that inspired you? Really, mine's is really grim. Oh, no. It was a couple of days after my uncle was found dead <laughs> and it. family flew over from England. I'm not going to elaborate on that any further, but family yeah. flew over from England. It was one of my cool English cousins brought over uh, his Les Paul, wrapped in a blanket, he had no case for it, and a couple of Oasis tapes. And he taught me how to play Wonderwall on an Argus guitar. Class. Yeah. And, then he met, and then he went to school with all these other lads and they... Pretty much just like went, I right, we need a drummer, you play drums. That's it, I, yeah. We all learnt our instruments together in, yeah. a, in my shed. So Mickey started playing guitar and then they hung out with each other on all of music and football and all that, the same stuff. 
Så det er bare at tage dem i musical story. Ja, så er det så godt, at han går her og siger det. Jeg tror, at han var den første, der begyndte instrument, og så var det faktisk meget kændig. Philly was like, well, I will, I'll play bass, so, and Fergie, can you, we need a lead guitar, or no, no, actually guitar player, whatever. We never ever heard from Philly again. I wonder whatever happened that day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think they've just some crossed yeah. the loop point somewhere. The inevitable face first in a Well, do you want to, you've told my story, do you want to tell your own now? Do you want to tell my, you don't know my name. I don't know yours. I'm going to guess, can I guess yours? Yes. You do an open mic night in Sligo with Ian McHugh, or you met Ian McHugh at an open mic night. And these were both sad sacks, and he's decided to start a sad sack band. <laughs> and I know you moved to Edinburgh, and he moved to Belfast, and then he probably said to you here, there's lots of people who like sad sack music in Belfast, do you want to come? How, how close am I? Uh, like, yeah, because I would have went like way too detailed on it. But that's, <laughs> that's a much quicker version for, um, yeah, that's exactly what happened, yeah. I, 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 I was very late into the game, I, I only... I only got a guitar when I was in college, so I was like nearly 19. But I'd gotten into kind of alternative music, like Radiohead and stuff, a couple of years previous, but the whole open mic thing started to happen when I was about 20. So by the time I was 21, I was like, right, that's it, I'm off to Edinburgh to be the next Damien Rice. So you started off as a solo artist then? Started off, or what, what, what I'm doing now. But I started off really, oh, you know, terrible, just like everybody else starts off. So I've had 12, 13 years experience on stage and improving instruments and stuff. Yeah. So now, I'm finally ready. If I hadn't known it was going to take so long, I probably would have got a different job. So when did the your solo stuff turn into classic rule stuff? I came over to Belfast from Edinburgh after the lads heard a couple of my solo songs on acoustic guitar. So I thought we were going to be more like The Frames, acoustic band. But some I think Ian was really inspired by the scene here, the Six Star Hotel and Fight and Wire and all that. And... Um, we love rock music, anyway. So the acoustics were kind of put down, and we bought electrics and distortion pedals and started screaming into a mic. And I thought this was the best thing ever, and I had so much fun. So it just by accident, we just kind of became this big monster rock band. Not compared to really big monster rock bands, but like compared to what we were supposed to be, yeah. <laughs> we were just like, what the hell's going on? So uh, when when we used to first bumped into each other? Oh God, I knew <laughs> <laughs> was it in bands or did you come across? Oh yes, this, this is a great story. Before I'd moved up to Belfast, I was coming up and down and um, was up at some gig and there's an after party after and I was like, I don't want to go home and Jerry's, sure, why don't you stay at mine? So woke up on his sofa the next morning and there's like a, that Dylan, was it, what do you call it Dylan, I'm not there, is it? Oh or, yeah. It was just looping on repeat. Oh <laughs> yeah. So I woke up in his house, I didn't know where it was and this woman's voice going, Jerry! Did you eat my dinner? <laughs> and he's like, no, Mick didn't. She's like, who's Mick? And he's like, that boy on the sofa. So my first introduction to Jerry was eating his wife's dinner. <laughs> was that before or after Live at the Limelight? I think, the, no, the first time I met you was at Live at the Limelight. Mm. Remember that UTV show? I was on show? UTV, yeah. yeah. yeah we, I walked in and they were sound checking and he was just slabbering down the mic. Once he saw me laughing, he, was like, he knew he had an audience <laughs> and he, that just encouraged him more. But it, one of his uh, bandmates was a, I went to school with, so we kind of just fell in yeah. with each other then. Live at the Limelight, by the way, was possibly the greatest show ever on TV. I watched well, I was one actually... episode, just the one I was in, I was like, not watching that again. <laughs> I wore, I wore, uh, suspend, what do you call them, the braces, the black, oh, yeah, black braces that. and a white top on t-shirt, so misguided. Oh. We met, a Plastic Rose met Cleanser Parade and we got on as, as like, you know, bands straight away. 
and there was this one thing that Mickey did that just made me cry laughing for uh, every time I think about it I still I still laugh but there was this like a very attractive young lady who had a modeling job and it's just blonde and she need, she wanted to bring the boys up Kalenzo Parade up for for an interview upstairs in the limelight and after she turned the corner Mickey did this thing where he started licking his hands and pretending to give himself an old country boy shower <laughs> And I was crying, laughing. And at that moment, I was like, this guy's going to be my friend. <laughs> Even if he doesn't want to. So have you uh, shared the stage in gigs quite a lot since then? Oh, Colenso Pride and Plastic Rose were like, yeah. It was weird because people would come and see Plastic Rose and we'd always be supporting them. We're like, who are these four idiots in suits and ties playing pop music? Just let us see the greasy fellas screaming. We are playing this pop music. I remember people just, you just see the first few rows, people like kind of, with their arms folded and kind of confused looking at it and like you'd hear this kind of <laughs> <laughs> at the end of it like. So what happened to Cleanse Opera in the end? After the number of things like we released a single it didn't we thought it was going to be the big one and it, it kind of just didn't it didn't go where we thought it was in hindsight I thought it would go but in hindsight we just didn't work hard enough at it but that also coincided with Philly's career ascension with Radio 1 and that was it and then I was getting a wee bit of wanderlust so I wanted to go away so it, it all just happened, you know, it's just life getting in the way like it always does. So do you think the music scene in Northern Ireland has changed a lot in the past couple of years? Is it different from times of Clendo Parade around that time? It's better now, I think. I think there's more, there's better bands now. I mean, everyone would disagree. Really? Oh, 100%. I think the bands are better now. Maybe, like, we don't have as many venues and reliable, regular nights. that Like, you always had, like, Radar on a Thursdays or Animal Disco on a Fridays, you know, those were, you could count on them to always have a good night, you don't have those nights, but in terms of the bands and in terms of the recording quality and the songwriting, definitely, I think is better now than Go on, was. give some examples there, who are you talking about? Ports. <coughs> right, yeah, they're great. Oh, I'm not denying that there isn't great bands, there's always going to be great bands <coughs> in, in the city, but the sheer amount of them in the 2008 to 2010, and the sheer scale of the amount of people going to gigs every single Thursday, yeah, but I mean, there's so many. There were so many great bands. But yeah, that, that we're obviously yeah. old and married and completely out of touch. The, the music scene is for 18 to 25-year-olds. That's, that's what age we were when we thought it was great. There's probably 18 to 25-year-olds going around thinking this is the greatest scene in the world. But I mean, I'm not out every, every night of the week. But I do know that I did feel really lucky to be involved in it. There was all these national presses coming over because they heard about this amazing scene in Belfast. I remember walking NME around Belfast doing it feature on bands and venues <clears throat> it was amazing i remember the first big gig i went to was six star hotel in the limelight there was 400 people there on a thursday night and i remember saying to ian like what who are these guys where are they from thinking they were like a touring american band or something and he was like oh they're just like college students from lisbon <laughs> I was like, what? and then literally you'd have the empire radar limelight and they'd all be full like not every single thursday but i mean there would be very regularly, they'd all be ran for three local bands. But it was, it, it, it did feel like we were part of this movement, this amazing thing. Yeah. Um, I think you were involved in the Little Solidarity. Yeah, game. man. Oh, I was there at the, with, with the Azirifa boys in the morning. I think now that's kind of seen like the Little Solidarity game, I think 2008. Mm. I think that's kind of seen almost, it's almost mythologised now as the big moment yes. in Northern Ireland. That was massive. I remember giving, asking Tudor Cinema Club for their guest list and it didn't happen. 
<laughs> that <laughs> was like they were just too cool leaving them <laughs> it's very like easy to look at that with like rose tinted glasses it's also was a huge PR move for the band itself and yeah. they'll, they'll, I'm sure they'll admit that yeah. as well like I'd say first and foremost it was a PR move for the band if they were able to make something of it for the rest of us so be it but I think like you know it wasn't it wasn't the Hacienda like a big de- like the DJs playing the Hacienda you know to me it was the Hacienda it was, it was unbelievable. I got like I just got really, really, really sucked into it. And I allowed myself to get really sucked into it because I wanted the Plastic Rose to be this big. In fact, the, the year after, I was living beside them and saw it from afar. And I wanted advice off them. And I asked them why they're going to do another festival the year after. And they said, no, but you know, feel free to do it yourself. So I like I did. So I did a kind of a, a similar type festival that finished off in, in Mandela Hall. And it was... Again, you know, we were headlined this time, as Mickey said, it's, it's a big PR stunt for your, for your band as well. But, um, you know, it was, you know, again, there was hundreds of people in, in Mandela Hall. All the other gigs were well attended. And this is the time when there was Glasgowbury now. Oh, yeah. Now, here we go. Like, could you put on a, a, a festival in the mountains uh, an hour and a half away with just local bands and get, you know, 1,500 people to go? I don't know. What's that was a special like, time. It was, yeah, but that's because like the infrastructure was there as well as the music. Whereas we have still have the music, we just don't have the infrastructure. That's what I. That's what I. How I look at it. But I, th- I think now it seems to be that at least in Northern Ireland anyway, it seems to be more focusing towards solo singers. Like so, it was a big breakthrough a couple of years ago. Seeing Jealous of the Birds done quite well. Ryan McMullen. Do you think that 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 it seems to be moving away from the bands into solo artists? It's money. I think yeah. Yeah, bands are bands are expensive and they're heartbreaking. So expensive <laughs> and heartbreaking. Doing solo stuff is way less stress, way oh, better money, and you've way more control. But it's just not as fun. Like I've I've gone back into playing with the band again because I miss the gang mentality and the crack on stage and just the life feel. But acoustic music is just there's way less overheads and way less. Um, varying factors of things that can go wrong. That's not to say like Ryan McMullen isn't phenomenally talented because he is. I'd love to hear him with a band. I'd love to hear him with a, a like three or but four. But he tours with a, with a drummer. Yeah, but he hasn't come to my house to do it, so I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so to com- change tack to something completely different, what would you say are your favorite songs ever? Now, when I've asked people before, I always say that it's good to give two answers: your favorite song ever and your favorite Beatles song ever, because with yes. the because with the Beatles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not fair. Yeah. yeah. Because the Beatles, of course. Well, literally, uh, the answer I give you today will be a different one tomorrow, right? That's just that's Same. just that's just the way it is. But since I am buzzing after their Glastonbury set and they're a huge, huge band for me, Radiohead. My dad bought OK Computer thinking it was Pablo Honey because he wanted Creep. He wasn't <laughs> a Radiohead fan; he was a Creep fan, uh, which is. Yeah, just a lot of people who are the same and he, he listened to OK Computer and he was like what's this muck where's the song that I like <laughs> and I was like well I'll, I'll take it and I remember driving out to Dublin to see the relatives and I like put this put my headphones on and press play and I'd never heard music like it I was like oh my god so they were a huge band for me that kind of changed changed a lot for me um, but they finished with Karma Police and I actually did a cover from it because I love it so much um, so I'm going to go Karma Police as one absolutely adore that song I'm I'm toss uh, it's a toss up between Thunder Road for me or the uh, tracks of my tears Smokey Robinson. Bruce Springsteen is my favorite songwriter, but I think Smokey Robinson is the best songwriter. Do you know what I mean? But Beatles for a favorite Beatles song, it's probably gonna have to be Sour Standing There. 
Oh, that's a bit of a oh. bit of a left field choice. Early. You reckon? Early. I, I'm all about the early Beatles. All like I yeah. love love the early Beatles when they were a rock and roll band. You know, when they were in Germany and, and in the cavern, that was them with their peak for me. Like I mean, everything that came afterwards, amazing, like brilliant. Yeah. But I just four la- young lads in their twenties really like changing oh, the face yeah. of music, like just by sheer passion, yeah. just insane. Um, oh, man, right, I tell you what. It's impossible for me to answer that question, but what I will tell you is because I've, I've recently gone and listened to all the albums on my last kind of long tour, and I just obsessed over these, these things. So now I'm I'm back onto Abbey Road again, and it's a, a song like again I love all the, all the songs, but there's one that I've been just playing a lot more than the rest. A song called Oh Darling. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God! And do you ever do like um <clears throat> like you ever at at a party and someone decides they want to do a lip a lip sync battle yeah and i'm always really really bad at them the only party i've ever been at that that's happened is at your house yeah sorry yeah this is what we do um but that's that i i, I finally now have a, a lip sync song yeah. oh that oh darling and the vocals it just shows you that the beatles whatever genre or type of song that they try to do they make like one of the best songs in that in that in that genre like that song is on boom so uh Fast forwarding to 2017, Michael, you're currently recording under Son of the Hound. Yes. Which I think it's, how long have you been, is it 2015 you started recording under that? End of 2015, yeah. I think you recorded an, an album a couple of years ago under the name Meb, Meb John Saw as yeah. well. That was, that was me trying to get all of my folkiness out of the way. Then there was some still some lag over for when it changed over to Son of the Hound. But so that's completely, all those songs are gone? Yeah. Well, apart from one, it's still in the live set, but... Wow. Captain on the ship. Well, well, oh, okay. well, obviously, I like Captain on the ship because yeah. it's got Captain on it. You were the first person who ever uh, wrote any words on it, actually. It's one, of my, it's one of my personal faves as well, actually, yeah. In terms of the sort of sound you're trying to get with Son of the Hound, what? Still figuring it out. Oh. I'm still absolutely figuring it out. I was recording last week and started together with Ryan McGordy, and it sounds like the tracks sound like Clanzo Parade, so. No way. Yeah, I think so. Are you over your Tarantino then? Yeah, I'm just over... I don't know. I always just go in trying to figure it out. I still don't know what I'm doing half the time. I'm at a massive advantage, I feel, to Mickey because I don't know nearly as much about music. And he's able to piece all these chords together and do all this crazy stuff. And I'm all like, if it's not C, G and D, baby, I'm not interested. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the nicest thing you've ever said. Isn't it? Yeah. All right, okay, because it was supposed to be a compliment. I like... I love 50s rock and roll. So everything is... Or 50s and 60s, anything... It's going to stem from that, but I was trying a few other different things just because at the time when I was recording, I didn't have a full band around me, so I was just recording whatever in a different style, whatever song, whatever style suited the song, I would try and just work around that. But now that I've got a regular band, it'll probably get a wee bit more consistent. But I don't know why, why limit yourself? So, do you have a favorite song as Son of a Hound that you're particularly proud of? The next one, it's called The Also Rants. Hopefully, it's not the last great song that I ever write. That won't be. It's, Thank you. That's I what I wanted you to say. I've been sitting on it for a year, but I've been doing stuff in the background to build up to it. Yeah. So it's just get just getting everything right. Just that's it. Yeah. At the right time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a hit. Like I released IOU October last year, and that's the last thing I released, and I hate doing that. But sometimes, again, who cares? Because nobody's listening. So <laughs> yeah. you don't need to stick to time schedule. There's your album title right there. Who cares? Who cares? Nobody's <laughs> listening. <laughs> and then Jerry, you've released your first. Single under just Jolene and Jerry Norman this week. What came out? Uh, think came out this week or is no? It's it's just a demo. <laughs> I didn't know. Well, I got radio play. Yeah, so, it's so yeah. Um, but no, that's that wasn't actually a release. It was, it's a new song, but it's literally just a demo that I did just to kind of 
try and get some YouTube subscribers, but um, they played on ATL and then I think they just thought it was a release, but I mean, you can't get it on Spotify or anything like that or iTunes. Yeah. But it's nice that gave me confidence. Like, you know, that was, that was just me just putting a video up on YouTube and next of all, it's like tracking a day on it and uh, talking about it on the Jerry Kelly show. And I'm like, oh, that's a good kind of confidence booster there. That's like, I'm, I've got loads and loads of songs. It's uh, very prolific. <laughs> I'm never short of, of songs. Trying to get the boys to keep up with me over the years is probably the most difficult thing. It's just kind of, come on, lads, I've got 10 more songs this week. What? But it's just getting the right ones together and producing it and in the cheapest way possible. So are, are you aiming for an album or an EP or how do you think you're going to approach it? I don't know. It's still the same manager, David Match at, at Third Bar. And he, he was just saying, look, don't worry about that kind of stuff right now. Just keep writing, keep recording. We'll worry about that when it's when we, when we there's enough songs recorded. Then come back to me, we'll, we'll hatch out a plan. So it's great. There's absolutely no pressure. I'm, I don't need it to be out next month. I've, I've released albums. I've toured. I'm gigging every weekend in pubs having fun touring with Bry so yeah. like it's just because of all those other things I get to just chill out take my time whenever it's ready yeah. it's ready I'd just like to ask you about the touring with Bry and mm-hmm. Bry I think he was a what they call a YouTube sensation that's what I was referring to earlier when I said are you not going to talk about that other thing um, that takes up a lot of your time and then when you said no I was like I hope he doesn't think I'm talking about his wife and his dog <laughs> and I love why I keep referring to Marion just as your wife <laughs> she has a name like <laughs> yeah she's street artist friends. <laughs> yeah Bry yeah he's, he's 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 quite the chap he's doing he's doing quite well how, how did you get involved with his bands how they approach you or did, did you know him through people or how did that happen well just like, like Everything else positive musically that's happened in my career, it's gone through Davy Matchett. This time was quite accidental, actually. Davy had kind of discovered Bry because went to a gig in the OES Centre and noticed that the place was rammed. And he was like, Who the hell is this guy? So he's chatting to him afterwards and he was like, Who's your manager? Don't have a manager. Well, who's your agent? I don't have an agent. So he basically he just did the entire thing by himself. Davy was like, Hmm. Uh, okay, I, I can give you some contacts. So, anyways, long story short, Brian needed someone to take them on tour. We had the classic Rose Mobile, and it was wasn't being used for. It was only a short tour, like ten days across the UK. But I was just driving and doing merch, and his wife was playing keys in the band. And then he said, "Well, actually, we wanted to replace her with kind of guitar player and give it a more rock, rock band kind of feel." That was never the intention to have that kind of sound. So he asked me to do a tour and I loved it. I thought the, the prof- like he's he's super, super professional. Not just him, but the, the, the entire band really enjoys songs and it just worked, we got on well. And um, then 20, 21 Pilots came knocking and sure. Then there was a headline, we're going back in November. So it's um, it's all, it's very strange. I, I never thought I'd <laughs> be doing all that. I was supposed to be touring, you know, arenas with big bands with, with a plastic hose, but that, that never happened, so. But it was nice. I, was, I felt like I was ready for it. So, do each of you have a highlight from your musical career to date? Apart from meeting Mickey. Obviously, that's, that, that's taken as a given. I always say, the two Snow Patrol, well, Snow Patrol and Biffy Clyro, they're two huge bands for me, so the support them was yeah. huge. I think, you, I think it was the Snow Patrol gig, that was the, that was, the, that was the Aussie, cause I think that was... It was obviously Andy O'Toole in London. Because I think they said on stage that was the biggest ever gig yeah. in the Odyssey. For, yeah, I keep forgetting that, actually. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I think they're my highlights. Apart from f- physically, the art, that the vinyl that we have for the last album, there is, it's a thing of absolute pure beauty. It's still available from the Third Bar Big Cartel website. If you want to give that a plug, keep uh, <laughs> yeah. keep David Matchett happy. 
I was just I'm racking my brains here trying to think. We never really had huge gigs. We had one support in Ulster Hall, Richard, Richard Hall, Hall, yeah, which was, was, was amazing to play in yeah. Ulster Hall. But just my fondest memory or my highlight was just living with the lads and living <laughs> in a five, four of us in a five bedroom house in the fifth bedroom being a practice room. Melrose Street. That was just like. Oh, yeah. yeah. What about your two nights with the Coronas and the Empire? That must have been a pretty big deal. Actually, they were, that big, was yeah, they were good. <laughs> that was they, they were nice guys as well. I didn't, yeah. don't really. The place was absolutely grand. Yeah, it was stuffed. Grand. So what, what's next for Jerry Norman and Son of the Hound? What, what are the next things we can expect from you? I'm, I've recorded and then I have a single that I'm sitting on, an EP, and another thing in the pipeline that I don't want to say too much about because it, it could be an unmitigated disaster or it could be a complete success. Well, uh, yeah, a singer-songwriter, solo person will be maybe releasing something in the next 12 months. I'll be doing some stuff with Pry in the meantime and also... I would be playing like covers and pubs around Belfast to pay the rent and get better as a musician. And there's always rumours of a Plastic Rose return gig. <laughs> I'm starting there to be, I'm starting to like be one of those people asking. There is. What's, like what's the story of the Plastic Rose? Because um, I know we've all kind of like <laughs> we all get drunk and laugh and talk about it, but then like it never happens. And but I think I think it'll I think it'll happen. I don't know when, but. If it does happen, will it be a big, a big gig or just like a wee low-key thing? No, I don't think it'd be a big gig. No. We downstairs in McHugh's job, that'd be the one? So yeah, like a sweaty kind of, yeah, I think. Yeah, there's no point. I think for years we were all, obviously everyone knows we were that band. We just wanted to do huge gigs all the time because, again, we were inspired by And So Much My Fire and all this stuff. And that's just, it stares in my eyes. I was like, this is, yeah. But, um... I think the most fun you can have is in a kind of a cellar bar, get a hundred people in there and go buck daft. So that's yeah, I think it'd be just something like some of that. Sell it out. That'll be yeah. Just to just to have the big soul out on the post. We just don't don't put the capacity of fifty people. Yeah. I think that's why there's so many bo- so many gigs in the boat now. Oh the barge. The barge, yeah. Oh maybe we could do it in the barge actually. Uh, yeah. It's a good venue though, well, is it? Yeah. yeah, hopefully. Ah uh, yeah. I'd I I'd love to see it. Uh, Plastic rose cake. Maybe we could do like an annual Christmas with a plastic rose. Would you go, Christopher? Oh, would you? You would. I'd definitely, okay. I'd definitely go to see that. Is there right. a guest list? No, if it's only fifty capacity, no. Ah, <laughs> uh, I work on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jerry, Michael, thanks a lot for coming on the Metaphorical Book Podcast. And if people want to find out a bit more about yourselves, how would they go about doing that? Jerry Norman Music on Facebook. Jerry Norman on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and. I guess, like, I'm always slabbering on Twitter. That's probably the best yeah. place yeah. to find me. I, right? I, no, honestly, no, your, your Twitter banter is off the chart. Yeah. You can always tell the state of my mental health by how, how, much, how much I'm tweeting. If there's a lot of tweets in a short space of time, you know, I'm feeling very anxious about something. Or you're halfway down a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Usually that goes hand in hand. Though. <laughs> whenever whenever I'm left alone in the house, all my, all my mates know straight away, they, they, they're like, oh, Marion must be away for the weekend. Because I'm all like just, <laughs> just drinking wine and tweeting. <laughs> and it's, what's, next for the, what's next for the podcast, Christopher? I mean, they're all going to come flocking now after oh, this. That's a hope. I heard like. your one with Lauren Bird. She's just lovely. I know she's just a nice person. I actually was playing a gig with her last Saturday, and she just stood up in the Empire just by herself. And she's only like five foot odd, and she's the wee ukulele, and she just 
commanded the whole place. Oh, well, there you go. We should give Lauren, <coughs> Lauren Bird a big shout out because I know Darren Daugherty has been, he's been uh, raving about her for weeks and weeks now because he's living in Strabane and kind of. Yeah. So go on, Lauren, you girl, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thanks a lot for coming on to the Matterfork Boat, Michael. Thank you. Jerry, I've been the captain, Chris McBride. Don't forget to subscribe to the Metaphoric Boat podcast on iTunes and you can find the original blog at www.metaphoricalboat.com. Mm-hmm.